Well, George Bernard Shaw, the playwright, was asked by an interview. He said, you know, you've been around royalty, renowned authors, artists, dignitaries. If you had your life to live over again and you could be anybody you've ever known, who would you want to be? And we probably all have answered that question in one way or another at a, you know, an icebreaker, a job meeting or at a party. If you could do this over again, who would you want to be? But uh, George Bernard Shaw had a, a fascinating answer. We'll come back to here in just a moment. Let's start with Philippians chapter 3, the letter Paul wrote here to Philippi. He starts in verse 17 by saying, join together in following my example. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do, just as you have us as a model. Paul here says that as an apostle, he's an imitator of Christ, and we can model him as he models Christ, and in the same way, we should be a model that other people can follow our example as we witness Christ in our life. As we've said many times, our life is a warning or an example. And we're going to look at some things here today in regards to the world situation, our country situation, and some ways that we can be that model to people to show Christ. Think about this, though. This is from Rice Brooks. A study done in Iceland, 2016, they surveyed people under 25 years old. Simple question, do you believe that God created the world? People under 25, Iceland, do you believe God created the world? The percent that believe that strikingly, stunningly, 0%. Think about that. 0% of young people in Iceland believe that God created the world. Now, that looks like an impossible situation, but again, you know, to think about what do you do in that moment, Rice Brooks, you might know the book or the movie he wrote, God is Not Dead. So when he found that survey, he decided, let's do something about that. They translated his book into the local dialect in Iceland. They dubbed the movie there, and he's gone there and shown the movie as well as shared his book. And he shares now, you know, that number that used to be 0% of people there in Iceland in that age group believed that God created the world. He said, I can tell you now that's changed because they've been able to share the gospel of Christ. That's being an example into the world in a situation that seems, you know, impossible. As George Washington Culver said so well, 99% of failure comes from people who have the habit of making excuses. And when you look at a situation like in Iceland, or you look at our culture, or maybe as your own family, a lot of times people don't change things because they just make excuses. And often that excuse is, again, what will people think? Or look at how the crowd's going, or the impossible situation that lies before us. Now, most people probably know the story about Augustine, the, the theologian from the fourth century. You know, he you know, he wrote about that he committed adultery and he lived this lifestyle filled with just seeking his own desires and sin. He had a mother named Monica that prayed for him and he was torn between this life of sin because he also was close to his mom and she knew what she said. She lived out. She was authentic. And the well-known part of his story is he was contemplating, you know, the life he lived versus his mother's life following Jesus. And he was sitting down in this park and he said, I heard this voice say, pick up and read. And he would talk about that and say, listen, I don't know if the voice, it was a young girl or a young boy. I just know a child's voice said, pick up and read three times. And so he picked up a Bible close by. He opened it. And what maybe people don't know is what verse did he read? And I'll just share what he wrote. I seized the book, picked it up, and in silence read the first passage on which my eyes lit. Romans 13, not in riots or drunken parties, not in lust and sin, not in strife and rivalry, 
but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Augustine would continue, I needed read no further at once with the last sentence, the words there, they hit me as if a light of relief from all anxiety flooded my heart and all shadow of doubt was dispelled. What he read there again, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He had tried everything else, self, and now he said, reading that, a different way to live, let Christ be our life. You know, Paul, Acts 26, he shares the word of the Lord that says, I'm sending you to them that you might open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. That is our call. Open people's eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. But we have to be living as a model, as an example, not a warning. D.L. Moody said, putting this into perspective, what will all the mansions of earth do for you if you have secured no title to a mansion in the sky? So what did Bernard Shaw share when that interviewer said, you've known dignitaries and famous people, if you could do it again, who would you want to be? George Bernard Shaw replied, I would choose to be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been, but never was. He said, I would be who I was called to be with more commitment, more faith. If you and I could do it again, that we would say, I would be the person I could have been, but never was. But we don't have to look back. We can say, you know, starting today, I'm going to strive to be that very thing. You know, Charles Bukowski, an American author, these words are just uh, so powerful. He said, we are here to laugh at the odds and live our lives so well that death will tremble to take us. So as Paul says, let us be an example. Let us be an example Let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Acts says, that we might lead people from the darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to God. Matt Carter is a minister, shared about a difficult battle with cancer and how God's grace spoke into that moment. And now he's cancer free, but I love what he shared. He said, the Lord brought me into the desert to win my heart. Sometimes the darkness is where God speaks the clearest into our lives. That's why T.D. Jake said, your adversity can become your advantage. You know, when Paul continues, though, he says something else. He starts out by telling us again, you know, that this promise that we have in Christ, he would tell us, listen, join together, follow my example, model the life the apostles modeled after Christ, and then become that model yourself for other people. But here's what he says next in, in the book of Philippians, as we start now, verse 18, but he says this, I have often told you, and I say again with tears. The next thing Paul says is something he's been repeating, and he says it brings him to tears, and here's what he says, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And that brings Paul to tears, as it should bring us to tears as well, that people live opposed to Christ, opposed to the promises, and trapped in darkness. And as we've talked about, we live in a time right now where people call good evil and evil good. And people are tossed back and forth and struggling to find truth, and all the things, the confusion, divisions, 
you know what? It's people trapped in darkness. Think about this, a Harvard Business Review of you know businesses that were failing and businesses that were succeeding, and they summarized everything that they understood about what takes place in companies, and they said this, too often a company's strategy is at odds with its culture, and here's the key takeaway, they shared culture trumps strategy every time. You know, culture is a set of beliefs that people hold in common. And if a culture has one set of beliefs and you bring the perfect strategy to that company, but it doesn't match that culture, it's not going to work. And what has to happen is culture has to change. And what that means is belief systems have to change. And right now we have a culture where belief systems are so confused and at odds with the truth. And what has to happen is a change in thinking. How do people change their thinking? As Paul said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, shining the light into that darkness. Consider something here. You know, comedians Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, and Larry the Cable Guy, they have something in common besides being some of the most popular and you know, most successful comedians of recent time. They all three shared that they will not perform on college campuses. And they said the reason is you can't tell a joke on a college campus because no matter what the joke is, somebody will take offense. And we live in a day and age right now where people get offended by just about anything. And if they're not offended by something they can put their finger on, they'll simply create something and be offended about that. And again, culture Things need to change about belief systems, about what is true, what is holy. And that's where you and I, our life then becomes that example. You know, J.C. Watts pulls no punches when he says, God is God, the government is not, neither are you, and neither am I. Our faith has to be in the one who is unchanging. If you look at David's example, in Psalm 27, you know, King David, he was at this point, it's believed, writing the psalm in a cave. And he was living from cave to cave when he was the rightful heir to the throne and should have been living in the royal house. But he was best friends with King Saul's son, and he did not want to fight King Saul. Saul knew that David was the real king, but his jealousy consumed him. So he would pursue David, wanted to kill him. He betrayed him, lied about him. It was in that pain and hurt that David wrote Psalm 27. Think about this. He's lost his friends, family. He's not sitting on the throne where he should be. Rather, he's in a cave. Here's what he wrote, Psalm 27. I would have despaired unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Be strong, let your heart take courage, and wait for the Lord. You know, David here affirms his trust in God. And maybe this psalm, which becomes a song in that day, in our day as well, it's more relevant maybe than we think. Because the reality is we live in a time where a lot of people despair. And maybe there's things happening in your life and in my life outside the context of where the culture is. Like David, we could say, listen, if I was in this situation alone, I too would despair. 
but I don't despair because I know the goodness of the Lord and I know he has me in his hand. And it's because of that I can take strength and take courage and have the joy that is unspeakable, filled with glory, not conditioned on circumstances or what's happening in the world. Joyce Meyer that we talked about a few weeks ago went through tremendous abuse as a child. So when she shares this, she does it from a person with experience of being in the darkness. And she shares, let God turn your mess into your message. No matter what it is that we can say, we're called to be the model and that example. And in a moment, Paul's going to share what that looks like for people that follow Christ and those who choose the opposite, what brought him to tears, those who were the enemies of the cross of Christ. Max Lucado, many know him as an author and a minister here in the U.S. He used to be a missionary, though, in Brazil. And he shared this. A missionary in Brazil discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote area. A contagious disease was ravaging the population. To get medical attention, they would need to cross a river, a river they believed in was inhabited by evil spirits. The missionary told them how he had crossed the river unharmed, but they didn't believe him. Finally, to show them, he swam beneath the surface of the water, emerged on the other side. And it was then that the Indians followed him. And Jesus saw people enslaved by their fear of death. And he explained death was nothing to fear. He even called Lazarus out of the grave. But people were still cynical. So Jesus submerged himself in the water of death before people that they might believe that death had been conquered. And when he came out on the other side of death's river, he proved once and for all death. Our death is not final. And that's why we can say with David, listen, looking at the things going on in the world, in our country, you know what? I understand because I would despair too if I didn't know the goodness of Christ who laid down his life and took it back up again. So here's what Paul says it looks like to take that path outside of Christ. He lists this four things. He says, those who are the enemies of the Christ. He says, one, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame and their minds are set on earthly things. What does this mean more in our language today? He says, one, their end is destruction. They don't recognize that they will give an account for everything they say or do, and they are willfully opposing Christ and rejecting his promise. Paul would later in Corinthians say, you know what? Our life we answer not just for the actions, but for the words that we speak. And for those things that are worthless, he says they're like straw that'll burn up in a moment in a flame. He says those things done for eternity and for other people, they're like gold that the fire can't burn. But for those opposed to Christ, they will find, as Paul says, the end of that is destruction. Judgment standing before him, given an account. He says, number two, their God is their belly. What that means, he shares, there were people going church to church and house to house, running scams to get money to spend on their immediate pleasure, whatever their appetite was. He says, three, their glory is their shame. They gloried and bragged and celebrated sin. Paul would talk about, you know, there's people that sin and not only sin, but encourage other people to do the same thing. He says, that which you are glorying in, that sin, that is your shame. 
And fourth, he says their minds are set on earthly things. They have no concept that the actions they take now have consequences not just for them, but for other people. And that consequence may play out tomorrow, next year, 20 years down the line for somebody else that they've hurt. Their minds are only set on this moment for self. He says, here's the opposite of that, though. For believers, he says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 31 is the chapter that talks about a godly woman, but the words here apply not just to a godly woman, but a godly man. Here's what it looks like to live out those words of Paul. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await to see Jesus. Proverbs 31, 25 says about the godly woman, she smiles at the future. It's a description again of a woman of faith, but it's something that can describe anybody, man or woman in faith. Why does she smile at the future? Because she knows every moment, whether it's tomorrow, next week, six months from now, Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. So there's joy, even if there's despair in the world. And we can again say, look, I would despair too, but I know Christ and I trust him. So I can smile at the future because I know everything is in his hands. Amazing words here by G.K. Chesterton. He says, you say grace before meals, all right. I say grace before the concert or opera and grace before the play and pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. For Chesterton, grace was not just a moment, it was every moment. Giving thanks to God was not just a moment. It was every moment. It's a moment that says, listen, there's an opposite place of living. One is despair and one is life. One is putting on self and one is putting on Christ. And you and I are called to speak to those in darkness that they might be delivered from the power of Satan to the power of God. I want to close here with this picture here painted about somebody who had that choice to make when they were challenged, listen, if you could do it again, what would you do different? And you and I can make a chance, a choice here today. We don't have to wait to look back on our life. Jesse Reeves was challenged on that very thing. He shared this. Pastor Neil McClendon had asked him to define success. And Jesse Reeves, he's a bass player, and he struggled to define success. And here's what Neil McClendon said. Jesse, if all you've done at the end of your life is sold a bunch of CDs, then you made a huge spiritual fumble. If that happens, one day you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to look at you and say, too small. Then we might think about that for our own choices or lack of choices. We don't want to stand before Jesus and him say, too small. You played too small. And maybe you've been playing too small and I've been playing too small and we need to stop and say, I want that to be different. And starting today, I'm going to say, listen, I don't despair no matter what's taking place because I know the goodness of Christ. And I want to put on Christ and him live his life through me. 
Jesse Reeves had to stop and think about that. Well, how do you stop playing too small? You start doing things that are bigger than your own life. Doing things that outlast you. Doing things that impact others that are not simply defined by self. So Jesse Reeves sat down and he began to write. From that place of saying, I don't want to live too small, he wrote one of the most beloved worship songs in recent time. This is the song that he wrote. Again, the words of Acts, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. May we be found faithful, living out that calling, not as a warning, but as an example. 